welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the DJ, and with me today, I have the Professor. Hello. And Debbie Boy is still missing. Our thoughts and prayers are with him, with us. Sorry. I've checked under the couch. He's not there. Really? Yep. Did you try the, um, the brew the car? Okay, you've taken my silly joke and made this creepy. <laughs> hey, he could be hiding there. I mean, he he is he, he, I, I, he loves he loves comfy spots. So, <laughs> have you tried under the bed? No, I'm not sneaking into his bedroom. <laughs> Dang it, he's not there. How are you, Professor? I'm doing all right, actually. Got myself a nice hot cup of tea. Getting ready for Monday, hey? Oh, I'm gonna need a lot more tea. <laughs> I, I like how when everyone, when you say the when you say the word Monday, people just shut down so easily. I think a lot of people don't actually love their work. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoy my work, and I enjoy the people I work with. Um, but you know, some days I just not feeling it. Not to mention um, tomorrow. It's the, today's the last day of school holiday, so a lot of people will be like str- oh, panicking well. and stuff. No, that's a great thing. Get rid of the kids for the day. <laughs> I suppose, although if you're still going to work, then you won't be with the kids, but never mind. You know what I mean. I can imagine all the... If um, you're a stay-at-home parent, you don't need to deal with the kids anymore. I can imagine all the um, bottle, um, bottle shops, all, uh, all the queues lining up for a bottle of champagne, so when they... Drop, after they drop their kids off, they drive off to off a distance and they pop the champagne. You're like, yeah, the kids are gone. Yeah. Implying that people who have kids have money to buy a champagne. Ah, oh, there are some cheap champagne though. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we should get the show started, DJ. So what have we got first? Yeah, so we've got the uh, great Sony shutdown. I should it make hasn't it happen uh, yet, but it is coming. Yeah, oh, well, I think it is sort of happening with what's happened uh, recently. Uh, Sony shutting down the PS3 store, the PS Vita store, if I well, recall. that hasn't happened yet. They're announcing it. Oh, okay. And, well, it seems to be actually still rumors. There's been rumors going on for the last month or so that uh, the stores for previous PlayStation generations before the PS4. So currently that's just uh, PS3 and the handhelds because the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 never really had uh, online stores on this scale. Yeah, yeah. But it looks like uh, the rumors are saying we've got six months if we're lucky. Oh, I bet you right now all the emulator makers and all the People trying to like um, trying to download all the uh, DLC stuff for all the games are doing a, doing a mad dash. Yeah, make sure you get all your updates and your um, DLC downloaded because once the store is gone, it's gone. And ideally, you'd be able to crack your firmware. So normally, you know, people crack their firmware to pirate. But in this case, I think it's perfectly acceptable to crack the firmware because otherwise you will lose access to products that you paid for. Because when the store goes down, the PlayStation 3 relies on network time protocol to synchronize its clock with the Sony servers. And if there's a mismatch in the PlayStation's clock and the games bought from the PlayStation store, they won't launch. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> if your clock battery is dead and you're, you lose the power at your place and you try to play a game without letting the PlayStation connect to the internet, it's not going to let you play. So even and, yeah, what, about, but, what about when you play out, out offline, though? Um, if you have the CD, I think you're probably good. But then with modern games, I'm not sure how much of an issue this was in the PS3 era. I, uh, I'm mainly a PC gamer, so it's not <laughs> something I paid much attention to at the time yeah you'd you be laughing at us after six months going <laughs> suckers yeah i can still play almost every game i've ever bought <laughs> you'd be rubbing you, you, you'd be so rubbing into every playstation 3 player at this point well i'm not going to be happy when steam eventually goes down but yeah uh right now pc has a better track record for letting you play games yeah older games because so- Past, you know, the PS2 original Xbox generation, when things started moving online and you started getting day one patches, like even on PC, old games had patches hosted on their websites or wherever. 
if those websites go offline, you can't get that patch anymore unless someone has kindly uploaded it to another site. And then you're risking malware and bad actors and all that. Yeah. But uh, the thing that most concerns me is that up until relatively recently, we haven't had day one patches. That means that the game you got out of the box was usually, with a few exceptions, playable with no major issues. The problem being that now that you buy a game and have to update it before you can play it, even if you buy it on CD, you aren't going to be able to get those patches anymore. So if you ever uninstall the game or lose the hard drive or whatever happens, you've effectively lost access to that game because you can't get the day one patch anymore. Yeah. The question is going to, what's going to be interesting is, are we seeing the death of backwards compatibility at this point? Only for Sony. Xbox has relatively good backwards compatibility. Uh, PC obviously has far better backwards compatibility. Yeah, but with PlayStation... Especially with emulators. Yeah. (laughs) Like DOSBox. I can play games that came out, you know, in basically any time from the 80s to the early 2000s with one program. DOSBox is bloody magic. But here's and, the thing, though. Yeah. Like, but here's the thing with um, place with PlayStation, though, is that it was their backwards compatibility is what brought a lot of people in in the first place. Yeah, the launch of the PS4 had uh, not necessarily backwards compatibility, but it was a push for um, to piss off Microsoft. They. <laughs> Yeah, they basically announced that, you know, old CDs will still work. You'll be able to trade your CDs. Do you remember that big uh, E3 conference back in, what was it, 2013? Microsoft came out saying they were going to make it hard to resell games. And within a day, Nintendo, sorry, Sony came back and were just constantly digging at Microsoft all through that presentation. <laughs> I and then ju- the... Um, the Microsoft team said, if you don't have an internet connection, we have a console for you. It's called the 360. (laughs) Which, you know, game consoles only really get supported for a year or two after the next one comes out. Maybe we'll see it be longer this time because no one can get a PS5. (laughs) Well, they can can if they can risk the whole scalping thing, though. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm wondering if with the silicon shortage, which is uh, looking like it's going to take even longer to come back to normal, if we'll see the PS4 supported for longer because people can't get their hands on a PS5. Same for the Xbox uh, series. Stupid title. Still a stupid title. Was a stupid title. Is a stupid title. <laughs> Always will be. So... Yeah, that's one case where I think people are going to have to keep their old stuff going for longer. Uh, It's mostly rare cases that still support a console more than two years after the new one comes out, especially uh, sports games. Yeah. So in particular, FIFA, I think, was really big on um, PS2. Like The last PS2 game ever published was actually a FIFA game. And it was published not too uh, too many years ago. Actually, here's a list of the last um, last games to come out on the PS2. So the, here's a list. So it's up on the te- on the tenth spot. It was Pro Evo Soccer 2012. Ah, uh, Pro Evo, not FIFA. Yeah. Um, actually, looks like um, that came out in 2014 as the last game. Uh. 2011, the and then um, no, there's another one from a few years later. Oh, yep, then you got 2013 Pro Evo Soccer, then you got FIFA 13 that came out in 2012. Yeah, so you get the idea, it's only sports games, yeah, and a lot of that is because the PlayStation 2 was huge in South America, which is a huge soccer place, and because of the way the pricing works out. Games in South America are really bloody expensive. Oh yeah, yeah. The it's I think it's the exchange rate that you have yeah to they don't have for. proper regional pricing for consoles. Yeah. So people were keeping that PS2 forever, and that's why uh, sports games kept being released on PS2 up until here we go. Yeah, uh, PES 2014 came out a week before PlayStation 4 came out. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, and it's usually just like a reskin of the older 
game um, made specifically for the old console. Console, yeah, because you know they can't push their new features in on the old console since it went off the power. I mean, this whole scenario—it's getting a lot of flack from what I've he- from what I've heard as of late. I think it should be because this is a case where. You know, it's probably one of the early mainstream cases of people losing access to products that they paid for because of licensing like that. Is it a whole? Is it another case of um, they're afraid of piracy issues as well? Possibly, uh, could be that they can't be bothered fixing the fixing any further issues because people are spending a reasonable amount of money uh, on the new console and basically nothing on the old one. So what's the point in keeping it all available? Well, the point is that you're taking away products someone paid for. Now, that's all legal in the licensing terms. Uh, but I think this is the first time this has happened on such a scale. I could be wrong. I might be overlooking something. But it's rare that so many people are going to be impacted. Yeah. I mean, even to get from what I've heard, game developers are really cheesed off about this. Like, they weren't... From, uh, they weren't notified or anything like that. They yeah. were just like, damn. Uh, oh. Particularly, Vita has a decent um, indie scene. So the PS3 is a pain in the ass to develop for because it uses such an obscure and unusual uh, chipset. Like the Xbox, the original Xbox was based on a Pentium processor, you know, all x86, just like your PC. So it's nice and easy to develop for. You don't have to learn too much specialized stuff. The PS3 used a different architecture, which was harder to get into. Now, the PS5, I don't recall what the PS4 is, but the PS5 is based on AMD architecture, like x86 again. So it's all converging back to x86. Yeah. But these older consoles run on unusual architectures, so it's hard to emulate, it's hard to do backwards compatibility, and it's hard to develop on them. Yeah. But people are still developing for them, and people are presumably still making, even if it's not a whole lot of money, they're still getting royalties for the games they released on the console. And Sony doesn't seem to have told them, we're taking away your income. And, you know, it's probably not going to be a whole lot of income at this stage, but it's still, you know, not a nice thing to do if you don't announce it, you know, a year ahead. Yeah. How consequential is this going to be on a big, on a big picture scale from your point of view? I hope on a consumer side, it takes off and consumers demand that companies stop taking away products that they've paid for. Um, I think it's a big thing that we're seeing in the past decade. Games are moving more towards as a service models. So, you know, 20 years ago, you buy your CD, you've got a single player game, you might have a multiplayer mode, and you might be able to hook it up to the internet and play online. 10 years ago, you buy your game, you've got the single player, you probably have a multiplayer mode that you can play online. These days, you're more often than you were back then getting a game that is only a multiplayer mode that you can only play online. So I want to bet that um, we, in the near future, we'll see all these uh, games companies adopt the Adobe model. Why not? I mean, we already have subscription-based games, particularly MMOs. Blizzard actually worked out a neat trick. They can charge you for the expansion pack and the subscription. Oh, that is... That cunning. always bugged me. <laughs> Like, I've never been a huge fan of paying for games that you have to subscribe to play or pay a subscription fee. Yeah. I don't like don't like it when companies double dip by charging the game purchase fee and the subscription fee. But Blizzard managed to work it out that they could get people to pay for the expansions. That's so, blackmail. Uh, no, not really blackmail because you still have the old game. You can still play that, as I understand it. Yeah, but still, it's it's just it's like high it's like daylight robbery in a sense. Like you yeah. pay, like like you're like I've downloaded this free service for you guys, and you want me to pay extra? Like, well, on okay, sorry. Yeah, you want me to pay twice? It's yeah. what my issue is. Now, there's an argument about whether I'm right or wrong. You know, uh, some people think that's perfectly fine and think that game devs need food. 
and need to be able to feed their family. Yes, that's true, but I'd rather it not, you know, not see people double dipping so much because now you're seeing games with the game, the subscription, and the microtransactions. Oh, yeah. I think World of Warcraft even did that for a little bit. I don't know if they still do, but I think they had a cash store. I remember Fallout 76 had it. <laughs> but you didn't have to pay a subscription in Fallout 76 unless oh. you get the uh, premium pack that lets you play in a server by yourself and <laughs> get your friends. Features oh. which have been standard. Look, I'm getting way sidetracked. Anyway, my point is big game devs are taking away things that used to be taken for granted. Now, the price of games hasn't kept up with inflation as much as it should have, judging by, you know, inflation. But it's worse in the corporate side. The indies all seem to get by without this issue, but the corporates really double and triple dip all the time. And now, you know, any game that you bought on the PlayStation, you're about to lose access to that. Even Uh, single-player games where you don't have to have an online server. So there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to pull out a copy of a game that released on the PS3 and play it. But Sony is cutting people off from that. So I hope this is this helps spur a movement like the right to repair movement is finally getting underway. But I hope it helps spur a movement to ensure that you still have access to your purchases when a service like that shuts down. How do you think um, PlayStation would react with all this backlash, though? Like, what would- I don't think they're going to care much. Maybe they'll extend it by another year. Um, maybe they won't. I don't think that they're going to keep it up indefinitely. I just think that it's unlikely that you'll get more than a year of leeway out of them. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we should uh, move on to our next topic. Um... Yep, I had my rant. Now, <laughs> yep. you know, good. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, uh, t- before we move on, I, I just want to say something very quick. I think t- at this point, companies should be held in t- held accountable at this point. But yeah, it, it's 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 a pipe dream. It's yeah, pipe this dream. isn't even the first time Sony's shut down their online store. Yeah, um, you know, five years ago they shut down. Maybe even a bit longer than that, they shut down PlayStation Home. Oh yeah, I remember that. That and, was a- yeah. People were paying for that, so it's gotten to the point that, you know, you can pay for something, but you're only leasing it. The company can come and take it back at basically any point they want. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, so... Let's move on. Yep. So, Professor, have you ever heard of a term agro mining? I have. Where have you heard that term before? (laughs) Sci-fi. Okay, which movie? I don't know off the top of my head where I first heard it. <laughs> but I know it's been mentioned in Doctor Who. Ah, okay. Um, even not as specifically mining, but um, the first one that comes to mind is the episode The Hungry Earth, where the Doctor tastes the grass to find out what the uh, chemical composition is. <laughs> Did he actually do that? Or is it just- well, I don't know if it was actual grass or a prop, but <laughs> yeah, he ate a piece of grass to taste it and see what the, uh, you know, what made it special. Ah. So um, apparently a scientist by the name of Alan Barker made a cut in the side of an exotic plant in the Philippines jungle. Uh, the sap that bled out had a jade green glow. And what's special about green, DJ? Uh, it has metallic elements from the soil. And this uh, sap uh, turns out to be 9% nickel. Okay, I would have gone with copper because copper oxidizes green, but nickel works. Uh, so um, this shrub was a newly discovered species soon to be known as Phylanthus balgui, which is a, one of the rare variety of plants that naturally suck up huge amounts of metallic elements from the soil. So uh, it's a welcoming finding, ah, but not- you know where else I've heard of agro mining? Where nuclear cleanup? Because oh, yeah. sunflowers pick up cobalt, and cobalt sixty is a particularly aggressive isotope that is produced in nuclear explosions. So, like one of the hypothetical, fortunately, plans for cleaning up after a nuclear attack or a meltdown that spewed cobalt everywhere is to plant a load of um, a load of sunflowers and let the bioaccumulation pick it up. Actually, no, sorry, bioaccumulation is not the right word, I think. Bioaccumulation is for the concentration of chemicals in the upper tiers of the food chain. Uh, so the term I'm thinking, I don't know, but yeah, so there's Doctor Who episodes 
it's a real life plan for cleaning up after a nuclear war. And there's uh, probably dozens of options that I've missed. Oh, okay. Uh, there, so Barker's research into, into this, it's called hyperaccumulators. And they've already covered species that seem to thrive on everything from cobalt to zinc and even gold. Sounds so cool. Yeah. And a lot of those are. Well, so the tricky part about mining is that. When you go mining with a shovel, you want to find a part of the earth that has a huge concentration. You know, say you're plucking nuggets out. Yeah. But if you don't have enough concentration for that, you just scoop up all the dirt and process the whole lot. Like the like um, panning for gold and such. Uh, more like pit mining. Okay. So gold mining these days is basically dig up everything you can and just crush it up, run it through the extraction process and get the gold out. Although I do recall um, but during the gold rush days, uh, some explorers would use cyanide to... No, not cyanide, uh, mercury. They would use uh, mercury to find out if, the, if gold was present. Yeah. Um, mercury, arsenic, a couple of things like that that really... Uh, I mean, it would be pretty dangerous. Though, but... Yeah, it's dangerous. So you end up with all this contaminated waste. Yeah. But it'd be pretty dangerous. Imagine if, if uh, for example, the flowers start uh, absorbing in gold. It'd be pretty dangerous to spray mercury around the place to see if, if there is any gold as uh, as well. Well, you'd ideally find the gold first and then go and plant these hyperaccumulators. So you said they found hyperaccumulators for particular elements. Yeah. So I think what you'd do is go to uh, go and plant your hyperaccumulators in a place, then come along with like a combine harvester and scoop them up and bail them up and send them off to be processed. I don't think uh, you'd go out in the field and just you know right. do the work there. Yeah. You'd because once you've taken one crop, you could then go and plant a second crop and get more. Hmm. So uh, and the other advantage is this would let you access stuff that's really distributed, where it's not worth the money to go and scoop up all of the rock. So uh, UQ plant scientist Dr. Anton van der Ent calls it agro mining, but it's also known uh, by the term phyto mining, and that's P H Y T O M I M I N I N G. Yeah, yep. phyto for plants, basically. Thank you. So uh, he. So he's explored a well-known hyperaccumulator, and that's the macadamia tree. And its leaves and sap, but not the nut, are rich in manganese. Manganese, but, uh, interesting. Yeah. In recent that's years, one of the, uh, the ones that they're really interested in, uh, seabed mining. Okay. Yeah, in recent years, he's traversed the globe searching for new species of hyperaccumulators, but because of COVID, uh, the research is on hold. But he says that the plants are most common in countries around the equator. So they found them in Southeast Asia, New Caledonia, Cuba, and Brazil. And there's uh, 300,000 known plant species of this around uh, the Earth. Only seven of them have hyperaccumulating properties. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, cutting the, from the cuttings from these wooden, wooden plants can be dried and incinerated into ash. That ash is known as bio ore. I like the name. <laughs> Sci-fi is frick. <laughs> so they demonstrated this in a metal, metal farm in Malaysia where they developed, which was developed by researchers from the University of Lorraine. And they've been saying they've been doing this for 500 years. And this farm has been reported continuous yields between 200 to 300 kilograms of nickel per hectare. Sorry, they've been agro mining this field for 500 years. For five years, sorry. Oh, I was like, wait, has this been around for so much longer than I? Thought? But, <laughs> like, okay. damn, this was during before. This was during the dark ages. <laughs> yeah, like, I would have been genuinely impressed, and I so wonder why we hadn't. You know, it's if it had been around that long, that's one of the cases where why are we not using this? <laughs> I think that's personally. Uh, I think Elon Musk has personally used is using this to create more Tesla cars. Well, that's an advantage of this mining. Rare earth mining is pretty environmentally destructive. So if they can get it out with plants, that's not great because you you know you clear the land so you can plant your crop, but better than it could be. But the problem is though, with, when it comes to plant mining, would be the amount of resources would. Would be the same as like uh, trying to feed a farm or so. It's like amount of water, the amount of soil and fertilizer. 
Yeah, that's an issue. Yeah, not to mention how, um, the runoff from the um, from planting um, these hyperaccumulators would be pretty uh, dangerous as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I see why that would be an issue. Yeah. I don't know how to solve that, but I think long term it probably does less damage than uh, than farming. Well, not farming, but pit, like regular mining. Yeah, they. But then, interestingly, uh, they said that this this is a evolutionary uh, defense mechanism. So all these plants need some trace elements to grow, but the levels found in hyperaccumulators would normally be toxic for plant life. Uh, he goes, he states, there are a number of theories that have been put out, but the most plausible one is that they do provide some protection against grazing insects and grazing animals. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and it hopes that the unique absorption abilities of hyperaccumulators could one day be used to detoxify former mining sites. Yep, like the uh, like the nuclear cleanup. You could use a um, a plant optimized for picking up, say, arsenic or mercury to clean up a gold mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes on to say, where you have stripped, where you've been um, strip mining for nickel, which is a common practice in tropical regions, you could integrate the metal farming as part of the progress of rehabilitation. Typically, re- rehabilitation costs money, and this is a strategy where you could actually offset some of the costs as part of the rehabilitation program. Yep. And they've also, and uh, with the agro mining, they've also found some pharmaceutical benefits to it as well. Uh, How so? They said many people in developing countries are deficient in zinc and selenium, um, selenium, which are essential for good health. We could use the zinc and selenium hyperaccumulated plants to produce biomass, which are increased it. And which are enriched in these elements. This biomass can be turned into a supplement for people to consume and could be used in a process called biofortification to increase the concentration of zinc and selenium in staple crops. Okay. So it's yeah, kind of- I know of uh, rice being fortified with other you know other chemicals. Yeah, yeah the I, GMO ones. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, Sorry. I don't remember exactly what ones are in it, but rice in particular has GMO strains that are designed to pick up nutrients that people in the region need. Yeah, it was uh, from what I've here. Oh, I've got here. The golden rice is genetically modified in pr- in order to produce beta carotene. That's the one. But with this one, though, like it, 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 it's a great. It's a great idea. The problem is going to be, uh, how are you going to sell it? Well, you've just said it could help save money. Yeah. No, I mean, like, how are you going to sell the whole uh, zinc and selenium um, supplements? Uh, just sell it to people? Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, like, sell the GMO plant the same way you're selling GMO rice. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, this one pill could solve all your problems and give you superpowers? No, I think the idea is that you do it with something like rice, so it naturally gets into your diet by eating it rather than having to pay for supplements. Calling it now, I bet you Nature's Way will make a commercial out of this. It'll be the next poo pill. They said here, the uh, soils in large parts of Central Australia are rich in selenium and the plants that grow have shown themselves to be extremely efficient hyperaccumulators. So, yeah, it'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, I like the sound of this. I also just sort of love the idea of just picking up a uh, harvesting plants and picking up all of the stuff you need to build an electric car. <laughs> it's it's it, it'd be like um, it, it'd be like Huey's cooking. I'll just take a branch of uh, of 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 mercury from he, from this tree, and uh, I'll take a pinch of galanium. <laughs> yeah. A, a hint of rubber and put it all into one big bowl and into the oven and you're done. You've got your own Tesla. If only it was that easy. <laughs> but man, can you imagine like in the near future, we get like uh, diamonds on trees and um, coconut, a uh, golden coconut, gold infused coconut said. <laughs> Why not? Do whatever you want. So much for the expression, uh, money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> yep. It Anyways, will one uh, day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it will one day. Anyways, um, so we should move along uh, to our final topic for this episode. Uh, ben Affleck as Batman. What was your initial reaction to it? I don't know. I don't think I had much of a reaction because... I don't know who, uh, you know, I don't really know who Ben Affleck is and I don't watch Batman. 
one day, Professor, we're going to have to take you to a movie theater and just make you watch a Ben Affleck movie, especially the Batman I'll one. through it. <laughs> really? Actually, I have fallen asleep in a movie theater once. How boring Only because was I was extremely tired. It wasn't a bad movie. <laughs> what was the movie? The Snoopy movie. The new one from a few years ago. Really? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so... Because of the success of the Snyder Cut, now fans are going, why don't we have a Batman movie <laughs> with Ben Affleck in it? And so now instead, now uh, they've released a new hashtag movement called Hashtag Make the Batfleck Movie. Okay. Are there any uh, Snyderverse Batman movies? The only, uh, As a solo thing? Uh... Yeah, because he's in Batman vs. Superman and just that. But there haven't been any solo movies since Snowland, have there? No, no, there and hasn't. Now we're not even, you know, now we're getting, uh, what's his name? Robert Pattinson? Yes. <laughs> now we're getting a solo movie with him. So, you know, Batflex's time is gone. I mean, you, you got to admit, though, like the fans, the fans are getting louder and louder. They were loud when the Snyder Cut was a... Uh... Was a thing. Yep, they gave in, so now they're gonna whinge more. <laughs> hey, you go, hey, also uh, at the end of the day, it's the fans that uh, the fans are the ones that are paying for it. And look what happened when the Snyder Cut came out. Like it was pretty. It, a lot of fans were like, "Yeah, do more, do more. We want more of this." And I know maybe eventually we might see it. Eventually, one day, maybe. <laughs> Your cynicism. I mean, how many years did it take to get Snyder's League done? Um, how many? You, you mean as in like uh, before he before he left because of family tragedy? Um, no, from to actually release the Snyder cut. Oh yeah, it was like five or six years. But that was because of that was the interesting part with that one was initially people. Uh, there was rumors going around that there was a Snyder cut. Then Warner Brothers said initially there was no such thing as a Snyder cut. Then, um, then they changed it to there is a Snyder cut, but we will never release the Snyder cut. To other, re- other, other excuses, and yeah, it was a studio thing at the end. But yeah, because with this Snyder cut thing, there are more and more arguments are popping up with Affleck's DC projects, and there's a De- Deathstroke movie coming out at some point. So. Yeah, people. They're sta- it's been staggering to watch the support grow from different co- from different corners of the internet. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, so they're saying it last. So last year, people got word that um, Affleck might return and as Batman during the DC fandom um, if, if show, and the Flash will see him in the Cape and Cal again in the in the in in the Flash solo movie. And the director that, said, "They this. really do not want to give him. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't want to give him a." Movie. <laughs> they, no, I don't think I don't know because Ben Affleck said like he didn't want to make a movie because he was too tired and he didn't want to, he was getting too, it was getting getting a lot of conflict from it but the director for the Flash movie is saying this like his Batman had a dichotomy that is very strong which in, which is his masculinity because of the way he looks and the imposing figure that ha- that he has and his jawline but he is also very vulnerable he knows that he only if you say the name Martha. <laughs> I'll leave you say Martha. He knows how to deliver from the inside out that vulnerability. He just needs a story that allows him to bring that contrast, that balance. And he goes he continues on to say he has a very substantial part in the emotional impact of the movie. The interaction and the relationship between Barry and Affleck's Wayne uh, will bring an emotional level that we haven't seen before. It's Barry's movie, it's Barry's story, but the characters are more related than we think. They are both lost they both lost their mothers to murder and that's the, one of the emotional vessels of the movie. Sorry. That, who was the other person who lost their mother to murder? Um the Flash. Oh okay. I was like, wait, Superman's mum's dead from murder? What? Well, okay. well, he's okay. I mean, so, I'm sure she is in some particular version of the story, but yeah. Well, well okay, the, the, his story is very complicated, but, but okay, I'll simplify for you. Superman's biological mother died in Krypton. Superman's adopted mother is True. alive. Yeah, but she wasn't murdered though. Wasn't Krypton a natural disaster? Uh. Yes and no. Natural disaster, yes, but it was accelerated by by Brainiac. Uh, it's a that's a that's a, that's a that's a story of another time. But, so uh, Brainiac is the company's pretending global warming isn't happening. 
Cool. No, Brainiac is the no that no LexCorp is the company that's that's saying um, global warming isn't happening. Brainiac is a is an alien sentient being. Well, yes, but you yeah. completely missed the metaphor I was going for. Ah, uh, right, my mistake. <laughs> so uh, at the end of it, he goes, "I'm glad to be collaborating with someone who's been on both sides of the camera. He understands." So, so basically, a lot of people are now saying, "We need this Batflick movie. We need it now." Well, is Ben Affleck still around? Like, is he not really busy with other things yet? I mean, with because COVID, already like already replaced it, him. Yeah, I mean, with COVID, he, he, like, I mean, a lot of actors would have been would be like, oh crap. Yeah, it's probably not great. Yeah, but with um, he still he he still does directing work uh, from time to time, and uh, he can you give me a second, so. In October 2021, Affleck will be a supporting role in the Ridley Scott-directed The The Last Duel. He's also uh, filmed a supporting role in the adaptation of the memoir The Tender Bar, which is directed by George Clooney. He will, in 2022, Affleck will star opposite Anna de Armas in the thriller Deep Water, which is an adaptation of Patricia Highsmith's novel. In addition, he will... Okay, so he's in a lot of stuff coming up. Yeah, and he's also got directing roles as well. So yeah, he's also yeah. got that. He's got the adaptation of the King Leopold's Ghost, which is a World War Two movie focusing on the Ghost Army. Yeah, but yeah, the he, Ghost he's, Army are they the ones who like marched over a hill and disappeared? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the, okay. So, yeah, yeah. They they did disappear. Like, they hiked off, and no one ever saw them again. I think uh, that's, no, no, that's, that's a, different, a different one. Yeah. This this ghost army is basically. I might be thinking of the World War One incident. Maybe there was a particular size group. I don't know, platoon, battalion. Who knows? Someone, not me, uh, who marched off into a forest to go and battle the enemy, and were so completely wiped out, no one ever saw any of them again. Okay. So this one looks like it's about the uh, counterintelligence unit. Yeah. Would you would you look forward to seeing another uh, Batman movie though from your I know you, I know you haven't no. seen any movies but yeah No there's been too many um too many superhero movies <laughs> you get, Yeah yeah I agree with you we, Open we do up get the field to something else <laughs> I mean I get I I agree with you there I agree with you there's a lot of um the fatigue is there the superhero movie fatigue is there so anyways we'll uh Take a short break, uh, and then we'll be back with our nerdful things, shout-outs, remembrances, famous birthdays, and events of interest. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So, uh, Professor, what natural thing have you done? I watched the movie Anon. Anon? It's on Netflix. It's a, a sort of cyberpunk. Like, it's not as gritty as... Or as futuristic as, uh, you know, Blade Runner. But I'm not sure what exactly to call it. But it's the cyberpunk detective movie, cyber noir sort of. The main character is a detective hunting a hacker who is killing people and completely erasing any proof that they were ever there. Which is hard when you live in a world where literally everything track. Like, they can pull up, the police can pull up, uh, like, eye camera view of you at any time. So the criminals breaking into people's houses, um, hacking their eyes so that they see what the killer sees as the killer walks up with a gun and shoots them. Oh, Yeah, it's pretty brutal. So it's kind of like watchdogs. Um, kind of. Yeah, so someone's, you know, breaking in and doing this and the detective has to work out how to catch someone who, as far as the system is concerned, doesn't exist. <laughs> like, someone killed them, but who knows who it is. They can't be tracked, they can't be searched for. So how do you catch them? So it's a cat and mouse game in the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, they're like backhacking the hackers and 
uh, trying to work out how they're getting around and how, how they're getting away with it. I liked it. It's very intense. Um, there are a few gratuitous sex scenes. <laughs> and they're like pretty, um, like sort of pretty in your face. Like they don't, at least one of them, there's no lead up to it. It's just scene change, middle of a sex scene. And that <laughs> felt a bit unnecessary to me, but um, that's probably my main criticism. How did you find the, um, so how did you find the movie overall? How many Nerdy Beanies would you give this movie out of? Um, I'd give a four out of five. I think nice. it was a really interesting concept. Uh, and the, the plot was a bit sort of formulaic, but I do, um, I would, would have liked to see more exploration of the world and the impact on, uh, on the people, because, you know, how do you live your life knowing watching over your shoulder at any time oh you mean like oh, what's happening you mean like what's happening with cancel culture and twitter <laughs> no that's different that's you going out and putting that out on public this is more like if someone was literally following you looking over your shoulder all the time you had no idea they were there but they could do that and could pull up recordings of what they did what you did in the past so you know cancel culture if you get cancelled that's on you. You went out and you said something that in public that upset people, blah, 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 you got cancelled. In this case, it's your own private actions that are being tracked. It's an entirely different ballpark. It's still possible to hide that you're up to unpopular activities in private. But how would you live if you couldn't? Mm. Like right at the beginning of the movie, the police officer is, you know, resolving some cases. They basically get the victim or the witness in uh, and they can pull up data on everyone in the area. So one of the cases, this lady's lost her bracelet and is blaming the housekeeper of the hotel or the maid of her home, whichever it is. And the, the cop is able to pull up the video feed of the, the maid and use that to resolve the crime. So, yeah. How would you live your life in a world where that could happen? Mm, okay. And that's where I think a lot of uh, sci-fi misses out. I think it, you know, it doesn't show you the impacts of living in that world. It shows you whatever gets in the hero's way, but doesn't dive into it. Yeah. Okay. I might check to that. Um, as for me, I've been uh, reading a very interesting Marvel comic. Yes, you can call me a hippie. Come on, I know you're going to say <laughs> yes, <laughs> I deserve it. <laughs> um, I've been reading uh, Children of the Atom, the 2021 edition. Uh, my God, it's so terrible. <laughs> what is it about? So, okay, for the for those curious, what Children of the Atom is? It's basic. Marvel Comics initially made X Men Children of the Atom, which is a six. Six-issue comic book series t retelling the origins of the X-Men. So the first issue is talking about the teenagehood of Cyclops, Jean, Iceman, Beast, and Angel. While the mutants have appeared in, while the mutants have, have just appeared in the news, Professor X is pretending to be a school coordinator in order to help the young mutants. Now, fast forward to the 2021 edition. The, this version of Children of the Atom is basically nothing like the old version of Children of the Atom. This version has got five new character, five new characters, and they're all basically uh, rehashed versions of old characters. So you've got Cherub, Cyclops, Lass, Daycrawler, Gimmick, and Marvel Guy. <laughs> it sounds so bad. So, uh, well, apart from calling a character Marvel, I, I don't like that when they have like Captain Marvel and all of that. Like, you don't have like Super Penguin representing <laughs> Penguin Publishing, do you? It's only comic books where this happens. <laughs> Oh, so but yeah, with uh, with this with this new children of the atom, they're basically a vigilante group, and they're trying to learn how to they're trying to learn how to be a superhero team. So they formed so they formed this whole new team called Children of the Atom. So as I said, this lineup. So you are Cherub, who's basically um archangel, and his power is flight and acousticinesis. Which is the ability to fire sound blasts. Okay. Uh, then you have Cyclops Lass, who is basically um, a gender bent Cyclops. 
that's uh, that's how I'm gonna put it. It's just gender bent Cyclops. Uh, you've got uh, Daycrawler, who's just Nightcrawler, but can operate. But in the day. <laughs> yes, that's essentially like what? <laughs> well, why is that important though? Like, uh, why why is it important that Nightcrawler? Well, why is it important to have a Daycrawler? No, why does Nightcrawler only go out at night? Oh, um, I is think that, that a thing. Uh, the reason why Nightcrawler was called Nightcrawler was because um, that was his stage name in the circus, if I recall. Okay. Because when he was uh, Nightcrawler, so there's no limit on what he can actually do. Um, hang on a second. With Nightcrawler, hang on a second. Uh, here we go. Oh, actually, no. This was when it was, so Nightcrawler was originally uh, was codenamed by Professor X, but yeah, he was originally a can. He was originally um a an, ab- oh, um, yeah. an orphan, and he was adopted by a circus and. When people found out he was that he looked like a demon, and he and they decided to hurt and lynch him, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, they got, they've got Daycrawler, who is a Nightcrawler clone. Uh, then you have Gimmick, who is basically a who's basically Gambit, but gender bent as well. And uh, oh, and interestingly, if you look at the uh, if you look at the character design for Gimmick, she is a she looks sort of identical to the author of the entire series. And some people have, b- have made the assumption that it's a self-insert. Okay. And finally, you you would have a Marvel guy, uh, which is basically a gender bent version of Jean Grey, who is who has, um, the is blue t- one, uh, the green one. Oh, what? Uh, like, so they're all just gender flips of characters. Uh gender flips. A couple, some, a couple yeah. of them aren't, but yeah. They're mostly gender flips of yeah. existing characters. Yeah, it's. It, it, I've read the first. I've read the first two issues, and man, it just. It just doesn't. It's not. It's not cool to read. It's just so awful. Like the dialogue, the uh, pacing of it all. The uh, there's one scene, for example, where the Avengers and X Men meet up at one point, and the Avengers are portrayed as bad guys in this, and. Storm is saying like how oh Captain America you're an evil man like oh man <laughs> okay sounds pretty heavy handed yeah I, I I'm having a, it's funny I'm looking at one of the, one one of the characters actually has a TikTok account as well interestingly oh uh, boy <laughs> pop culture reference that totally won't age <laughs> oh, oh I'm like what the hell man why would you have they're to clearly play- not intending this to and and here's another interesting one um so cherub he's one of the pages is basically you must be has got a page say you must be a mutant to have abs like a mutant workout and he goes i get i get asked about core workouts all the time and the one thing that always come up is people want the abs that but don't have the time you make time for the things you think are important. This workout will have you cut like Wolverine's claws got a grudge. Remember the motto, hustle smarter so you can go harder. So, <laughs> right, you said um, initially this was like young versions of other characters, right? Yeah, well, young so, and, yeah. Um, but it's like before mutants became this whole big thing, it's like yeah, that's what- versions of them and now they're rebooted and they've uh, flipped some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are they still like the first mutants, or are they uh, living in a world where the other mutants exist? Which I'm assuming they do, because uh, that—that's the scare. That's the they mentioned Wolverine. Yeah, um, I think Which, this one. You know, imagine being like a brand new mutant superhero, whatever, and being called like Cyborg Last. That's basically just female version of that guy over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but it, it, so from what I've gathered in this book, from this comic, they've just basically stole the group name, and that's it. <laughs> that's it. And the character designs. Yeah, the character designs. But uh, uh yeah, and here's the uh, oh, if, if, here is the workout plan. If you if you're curious, okay. So the warm up at, ho- at home: twenty jumping jacks, two sets, uh, and on the and on the gym treadmill for half a mile at four miles per hour, and your workout. 16 elbow to knee crunches, two sets, one minute star plank hold, six cla- uh, eight clapping push-ups, 16 Russian twists, 12 butt-ups, 12 raised cir- uh, leg circles, and 16 mountain climbers. And for cool-down, stretching at five minutes. 
stretching for five minutes. Okay. And for your reward food, a swole search smoothie. <laughs> and they even put uh, fist bumps and hashtags as well. <laughs> oh, man. I, I like how they're trying to put cultural, non-cultural references in the comics and nobody gets it. No, I'm sure people get it. I just don't think I'm the target audience for pop culture <laughs> references in comics. I would give this, uh, oh yeah, overall, I, I would give this comic, uh, yeah, I'd give it a two out of five just to be generous. I mean, the artworks are not bad, but it's just the character design. Like, it's original characters, but you're just stealing a popular name just to try and promote your character. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I've had my rant. <laughs> so, uh, on to our shout outs. So, the last weeks have been shown some insane co- price collectors with, uh, will pay for. Price collectors uh, will pay for anything. On the 2nd of April, a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers from 1986, one year after initial sales, sold for 660000 US dollars. Heritage Auctions claimed this copy has an elite level of preservation and is the oldest factory-sealed copy that Heritage has ever auctioned. A few days later, on the 7th, a copy of the Action Comics num- issue number 1 from 1938 sold for $3.2 million US dollars. This issue introduced Superman in 1938. Of hundreds of thousands of copies printed in the initial run, around 100 are estimated to remain. The price of this particular copy increased from 2.5 million US dollars in an auction in 2018. It's now been 60 years since the first human space flight where Yuri Gagarin left Earth on the 12th of April 1961 on board a Vostok 1 spacecraft. His flight took 108 minutes and completed one orbit of the Earth. Every year, Russians lay flat hours at monuments of Yuri on Cosmonautics Day. You mean Cosmonauts Day? No, it's Cosmonautics Day. Ah, okay. I always thought it was Cosmonaut. What is Cosmonaut? Well, the word is Cosmonaut, but... It's Cosmonautics Day. Okay. Interesting. Uh, The same day, the 25th anniversary of the stop-motion adaptation of James and the Giant Peach, the film adapts Roald Dahl's book of the same title, although Roald Dahl refused to have the film made during his life, and this adaptation was approved by his widow, Lissy. Lissy thinks Roald Ronald uh, would have... Oh, Lissy. That makes a lot more sense. I read it as Licky. Oh, uh, we, apro- we apologize, Lissy. Uh, yeah, thinks that Ro- makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Lissy thinks uh, Roald w- would have been delighted. Did you ever see that? Did you ever see that movie? No. Ah, oh, hey, so good. I find it hard to believe that he would have been delighted about a movie he refused to make. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I feel like this is a case where um, he probably wouldn't have been happy with it. Just reminds me of uh, Alan Moore, and when he saw the Watchmen movie, he he hated it so much that he told the directors to scrub his name off the credits. Yeah, Although- like maybe it would have, uh, maybe he would have done it in the end, but you know, I, it just feels kind of funny that he would never do it. Then he died, and his widow's like, make the movies. <laughs> So keep in mind, she probably had to approve the uh, Johnny Depp version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh man! I mean, I th- I, ho- I wonder what was his reaction when the Witches movie came out. But uh, anyways, moving along. So uh, although last year seemed like the year where everyone was playing Animal Crossing, the 14th of April marks the 20th anniversary of the re- original release as Dobatsu no Mori or Animal Forest in Japan. Nintendo announced a series of different CD box sets to commemorate the occasion, but the Japan-only limited edition of seven CDs, a storage box, KK slider earphone case, and art book has already sold out. Oh, would you buy it? No, I've never played uh, Animal Crossing. Oh, man. I would would love to buy it just for the collector's sake, for the sake of collecting. I mean, imagine saving that for a few years. And what, reselling it? Yeah. You're a bad person. Oh, come on. Come on. Oh, not re- Okay. I wouldn't You're re- taking it away from someone who would actually enjoy having it so yeah. that you might make a profit on it in a few years. But that's what, that's what collector's editions are for, though, aren't they? Art is meant to be enjoyed. That's. Uh, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that. <laughs> so uh, on to our remembrances. Uh, Moran Campbell was a... Uh, Canadian physician and academic who held the position of founding chair of the Department of Medicine at McMaster Facility of Health Sciences, Sciences from 1968 to 1975. 
he invented the Venturi mask as a replacement for intermittent oxygen therapy, which he described as bringing a drowned man to the surface occasionally. I like that last bit, occasionally. I don't think the people on it would have felt like the same way. (laughs) Despite the name and common misconception, the Venturi mask does not rely on the Venturi effect, but actually jet mixing. Moran was elected a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada in 1983 and was made an officer of the Order of Canada in 2001. He struggled with manic depression, writing writing a memoir not always on the level in 1988 he passed away from colon cancer in dundas ontario at the age of 78 on the 12th of november on the 12th of april 2004 robert lee scott robert lee scott jr was a brigadier general in the u.s air force becoming a flying ace in world war ii he was known for shooting down 13 japanese aircraft he is known for the memoir god is my co-pilot published in 1943 In 1942, he lied about his experience and learned to fly a B-17 on the way to India so he could fly bombing missions against Japan. After the mission was cancelled, he joined the Flying Tigers, where he flew a Republic P-43. He flew over Mount Everest. He repainted the uh, propeller spinners to create the illusion of a larger fleet of aircraft than than there actually were. After the war, he hiked the 30,050 kilometer Great Wall of China in 94 days. He was born in Waynesboro, Georgia on the 12th of April, 1908. That's an F. That's his effort to scale the Great Wall of China in its entirety. Yeah, it's a hell of a hike. 94 days, though. I mean, damn. Yeah, I wonder what the situation is for that, actually, because um, I know in the West there's a lot of places where you can go on multiple month-long hiking trips. Probably one of the most famous is the uh, Appalachian Trail in the US. But people in the in the towns along the way will, you know, meet you and help drop off food to the uh, trailhead so that you can pick up supplies. I wonder if the people do that in China or not. I mean, you have to obtain a very special passport to just to, like, do the whole, whole deal, though. Yeah, you'd, the passport issues probably make it harder for Westerners, but do locals do it? No, I, like, I, I, it would be I, difficult even for uh, you know most Westerners to do the Appalachian trip because most visas only last for like three months. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on the same day in 1937, Sir Frank Whittle tested the uh, the first jet engine intended to power an aircraft due to delays in funding. He was unable to build a flyable version until after the Hans. Paps von Ohain of Germany designed an engine which first flew in, 19, in August 1939. Whittle's engine finally flew on May 15, 1941, and the production model went into Gloucester Media, Media Jet Fighter, which intercepted V-1 rockets. Whittle's company was called Power Jets Limited. Great naming. And, yes, uh, it's a good one. I know. And finally, uh, on this on this same day in 1940, Dr. Cyclops was released, and the plot goes: a mad scientist in the South American jungle miniaturized his colleagues, where they uh, they threatened his unethical experiments. <laughs> I feel like you know, at the point you're miniaturizing people to stop them telling the cops on you, you're already the bad guy. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, you're working in the corporate sector and you're like, hey, uh, hey, hey, Mr. CEO, I think you're uh, doing something unethical and they, and they militarize you. Like, oh, damn. Yeah, shrink you and put you in a jar. <laughs> Although you Isn't there to... a children's story about a lady who did that? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> Although that would be a crazy story. It was a pretty crazy story. But yeah, uh, the director himself was very tall and his colleagues think that they. That had something to do with the interest in the subject. This film was considered lead actor Alfred Decker's signature role. Would you watch it, though, just for the laughs? Or Yeah, I've considered it. I was <laughs> thinking about it earlier. Imagine remaking that movie. Special effects would probably be better. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, anyways, uh, that's all we have for this week. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, BassNotCanon.com, wherever archive of our old episodes and new podcasts such as the cliff's edge which is a cliff homans uh, podcast about bringing the biology and environmentalism podcast 
And this is the uh, summary of it. You don't need to be a scientist to enjoy biology and environmentalism. Lift, listen to the Cliff's Edge each week for a casual chat about everything from evolution to climate change with some offbeat humor tossed in. Bring your curiosity and become an armchair expert in scientific issues that affect our daily lives. The Cliff's Edge, biology and environmentalism for the rest of us. That sounds nice. Yeah. And uh, you can also- like a lot of fun. Hmm, agreed. And you can also find us on YouTube where we have an, a video, but we'll be, bringing, we'll be coming up with some more videos in the near future. So uh, that's all I have for today. Now it's time for me to go away now. Goodbye. Look after yourselves, stay hydrated, and I'll try to keep the DJ awake. <laughs> <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 